Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Greetings, everybody. How are you doing today? I am Ray Harkins. I'm sick, but you're listening to 100 Words or Less, the podcast, so I apologize if I don't sound as animated as I normally am. I had, I don't know what I had. It's just something that, you know, gave me a fever, then I had some, uh, some, some internal problems. You know, you know those things. But I'm very excited, very, very excited about today's show. Chelsea Wolfe. This is an interview that I was circling around for probably three or four months, uh, trying to book it and trying to to make it happen. But then, uh, you know, many, many things got in the way, but we were finally able to make it happen and record it. And it was uh, it was everything I had hoped for. I am a huge fan of her music. I really think that what she does is uh, it crosses so many genres and boundaries. And uh, it's just uniquely hers, which I love when I'm able to kind of key that into the independent-minded music that uh, you know not only she creates, but then a lot of other artists create. So that is great. We'll have her in a moment, but email the show, as always, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. And then, of course, if you are feeling so inclined, whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on, if you could give the show a review, I know everybody asks that of you and blah, 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 but come on, just just do it. You know, you've maybe thought about it for years. And you know what? To be honest, I, I recently got a um, review that uh, was not kind. <laughs> and even as an adult, it still hurts where I'm just like, oh man, like, you know, the interviewer can't even get out a question and whatever. And I, a lot of the times I'm just in my head, I'm like, well, I'm technically not a you know journalist or interviewer. I'm just trying to have a conversation. Of course, I have these questions, but you know sometimes I'm trying to uh, you know I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Okay, and if it's so annoying that you don't listen to it anymore, I understand. There's plenty of other things, but uh, for those of you that come back on a week to week basis, I appreciate it. So, anyways, yeah, leave a review. I would appreciate it. And um, yeah, I'll be like I said, I'll be or not like I said, but in a previous episode, I, I said I was going to be taking a break at the end of March. Uh, I'll probably be taking two weeks off. I'll keep you guys posted on that. But um, yeah, partially just because I'll be touring in Japan with my band. And um, yeah, it's just it's really hectic <laughs> to keep up with stuff when you're traveling internationally. But Anyways, uh, here's Chelsea. I do not want to uh, waste your time anymore in any of this intro stuff. So here she is, and I just, oh man, so exciting. So here we go. Mm-hmm. And I 
want to say it was around uh, Apocalypsis where I, you know, became aware of you and started to, uh, you know, enjoy your music. And, you know, I come from like the punk and hardcore scene. So, you know, a lot of uh, weirdo art obviously gets thrown into that, which, you know, I would say that you definitely get thrown into that (laughs) around that time Mm -hmm. where it was this, you know, interesting combo of like, you know, PJ Harvey, country, gothic nods, like all this stuff in a blender. Whereas like, you know, now in 2019, because a lot of people, you know, kind of throw a bunch of stuff in a blender back then, it didn't really seem like many people did that. Um, I presume that's obviously a function of you just basically being like, well, I like all this stuff. So, uh, of course I'm going to, you know, create this music as opposed to, um, you know, something else. Yeah. I mean, I think essentially I didn't really overthink it, you know, like when I started making music, I just made what I, what came naturally and like what I knew how to do. And it's not like I was thinking like, okay, I'm going to take this and this and this. It's more like now that I'm older and I've made, um, seven records I can look back and be like oh yeah that this was kind of influenced by this part of like you know this music that I was listening to in my teens or whatever um, and just kind of start to like piece together all the different influences that have been there without me really thinking too hard about it does that make sense absolutely well I think that's the part or the, the fun part about you know starting to trot your music out there when you're younger is that you don't have you're just like well yeah i like all this stuff so i'll just you know you're not overthinking it because you're just executing on your <laughs> your instincts i guess yeah totally i i would probably use the word instincts and instinctual about a hundred times because that's kind of like <laughs> that's kind of my main vibe of like art and music and just the direction that i follow is i'm always kind of following my instincts to take the next step yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean that it makes sense from that perspective because you, then you are not, you know, I think when you use the word calculated, that's when you start mm-hmm. to enter the kind of, you know, overarching music business and trying to be successful or whatever and chase that whole, uh, whole scenario. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking how calculated is kind of the opposite of instinctual. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, I know that you were born in Northern California and, you know, from the sounds of it, just from other interviews and, uh, you know, places you've spoken about is that you were completely immersed in, you know, artistic endeavors with, you know, your dad playing in a band and, you know, you doing a lot of writing as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like because of those, um, I guess, surroundings and how you were expressing yourself at that time, there was pretty much no other path for you besides just being, you know, kind of a, a weirdo art kid or, you know, were there other things that you obviously kind of like lean into whether you were like, Oh yeah, I really like sports or, you know, Legos or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, my childhood was kind of like strange and, and dark oftentimes, but I also feel lucky that I did have a lot of like creative outlets. I had a very creative upbringing. Like, like you mentioned, my dad was, uh, in a band and they had a home studio. So there was a lot of like, you know, overhearing them practice and him teaching me how to do some little recordings. And then my mom has always been like just trying different creative stuff, like painting and sewing stuff and drawing things like that. So there's a lot of that around. Um, and I spent a lot of time at my grandmother's house as well, who was creative in a more spiritual sense. Like she did some training in the mountains for like a year and then came back and you know, it was teaching me aromatherapy and practicing Reiki on me and stuff. So there was kind of that aspect as well. So yeah, it was nice to have those, those outlets. And I think, you know, as I got older, I just kind of, again, started diving into a lot of those different areas naturally, just because that's, that's how I knew, um, how to cope with life in the world and understand things. Um, mainly it was always writing though. And just whether it was poetry or eventually songs, just putting stuff into into words in my own way just kind of always like brought me comfort and always brought me like a sense of 
place and belonging in a world where I kind of felt like I was always a bit of an outcast. Um, and yeah, I think as I got older in high school, I started to feel like too much of an outcast and maybe like tried to be a little more normal. I, I just remember always thinking like, I just wish I was normal. I just wish I was normal. And so I did try to like get into sports and stuff. I was pretty much awful at all of it, to be honest. Like, <laughs> sure. You know, like track team and water polo and stuff. And it was great because I was like really, you know, fit and made some new friends and stuff like that. But it just wasn't really like what I was meant to be doing, obviously. But high school, honestly, like, is that really like the person that you are for the rest of your life? I think you're just kind of trying shit out and figuring it all out. So sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. You, you, kind of... you definitely wear a lot of different skins. Um, you know, you don't think of it at the time, but to your point of what you're saying, where you're like, I, I'm just trying to find a place where, you know, not only do I fit in, but I feel, you know, somewhat quote unquote normal. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, also, fortunately, there was like a sort of audio visual department at my high school. And um, the guy who ran that, you know, noticed that I was a musician and like helped me record some songs even then. I don't know what happened to them, but so it was nice to like have that as well in high school as you know as, as much as I was trying to be normal I still got to express my like weirdo side as well yeah for sure well it, it's cool because I, I think you know y- you become so protective of yourself like you know by trying to you know avoid getting made fun of or picked on or whatever that you mm-hmm. sometimes you know c- people can't feel the comfort to express that weirdo side whatever it may be even if it's like you know, something that whatever stamp collecting and people are like, what are you into? Uh, but when you find those, you know, even if it's just one or two people, you're like, oh, they get it. Like, I, I want to lead in with that. Yeah, totally. And I actually like I this is kind of off topic, but I, I had to wear um, a back brace for like most of junior high and high school uh, for scoliosis. And I had to wear it like 23 hours a day. So like the hour that I didn't have it on would be like what if, if I was doing sports or something. So I think that also kind of made me feel like this weirdo freak because I never wanted anyone to like touch me and discover this like hard brace that I had to wear all the time and it kind of like stuck up out of the back so it looked like it looked like I had weird wings or something sure so I think that definitely like affected my desire to want to be normal and just to like fit in and not be this weirdo that had a back brace on you know right right like under no circumstances are you to give me a hug because then you'll find this thing and then yeah you'll ask me questions and I don't want that yeah totally <laughs> Was that, was that because it was like, I guess, because I have scoliosis as well, but it wasn't, Mm -hmm. uh, it's not degenerative. So like was yours, they obviously had, you know, I mean, you had, you had a pretty serious case of it then it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, to the point where I had to wear that back brace for like almost, um, five years, I think. Wow. Like I said, 23 hours a day, but I mean, it worked. I didn't have to have surgery. So that was a blessing. Yeah. No, (laughs) right. Yeah. You're like, I'd rather do that than, you know, get cut open. Yeah, looking back, definitely, I think that was, it was okay. And I think it built a lot of character for me because I, I connected with other outcasts and I would go like sit in the bushes with the weird kid that ate his lunch in there. And like, I would just try to connect with all the other like people that felt like freaks, you know? And I think that was kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially too, because you had, I'm sure like, you know, when you brought friends over to your house or, you know, they got to know you a little bit and they started to see, you know, it's like, what, what's Reiki? And, you know, what do you, what do you mean your dad's in a band? Like, that's probably yeah. when you started to recognize that your upbringing wasn't, you know, as conventional as maybe your peers. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, And so, you know, it it also sounds like kind of on that same token that you were experiencing a lot of sort of, you know, adult stuff that kids maybe not get exposed to um, until maybe in their teenage years or whatever. Um, You know, I I know because you have older siblings, correct? Like sisters. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, I have a sister and a stepsister. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I, I'm sure their influence weighed on you as well in regards to, you know, them showing you kind of, you know, older people stuff and everything like that. Um, or was it your just your kind of, uh, I guess, curiosity and desire to learn about things that, are, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe don't happen for people until a little bit later on in their life? Um, I think it was just like the influence of, you know, thinking they were really cool and like they just hung out with these like bad boys and, you know, so like... <laughs> And I was a couple of years younger. So, you know, like when they were like 13, I was like 11 and we were drinking and partying and stuff like that. So I definitely had the an early, uh, you know, exploration into that realm for sure. Sure. Well, I mean, I'm sure a lot of that too is the whole sort of, you know, s- small town, like we're just bored. Like, what do we do sort of stuff? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I lived in kind of like the outskirts of town, like an old suburb. So there's not really much to do out there. Right. You know, I think that's a, a traditional suburban white trash story is you just kind of like you just start to party at a young age because there's nothing else to do. Sure. Right. Yeah. Go to the local park or, you know, find someone's garage or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you, you know, as you started to, you know, go into high school and start to try on these different skins and stuff like that, did you um, care about school? Like, did you enjoy, you know, the any aspects of it as far as, you know, different, you know, math or science and English and that sort of stuff? Or did you just kind of like, well, I'm going to do this because I need to do it? Yeah, I always loved English and I always loved reading from a young age. So that was, you know, a good class for me. And I liked the photography class. Um, there wasn't like a huge music or arts program at my school. But when I was a senior, they finally got like a guitar teacher or well, guitar class the teacher didn't actually know how to play guitar but he was like <laughs> the, the general music teacher for the school and so that was cool because I was that was like the first time I was introduced to like all these you know like kids like playing Nirvana and shit like that and I'm like what is this music I just came in there with my acoustic guitar you know like, <laughs> sure suddenly I'm like I want an electric guitar like let's go this route so right that's cool yeah that's because then yeah you you know when you go to classes like that you know everyone is bringing their own influences and then you start to even though you may not like it or understand it you're just like oh okay at least I understand you know maybe where my personal preferences lie on the spectrum yeah it was just really fun to be exposed to all this different stuff um and I was like a pretty big dork so it was cool for me to like finally get introduced to like I mean I was listening to like some good trip hop and stuff I didn't really have a lot of good rock music in my life at the time Uh uh-huh Right. Uh, And and where where were you getting kind of your, you know, musical input as it were? Because, you know, sometimes it's older siblings or sometimes it's, you know, the Mm -hmm. uh, local weirdo at the record store and stuff like that. Where were you? Where was stuff getting passed down to you? I mean, a lot of it was from my dad. Fortunately, I got a lot of good musical influences there, but it was all older, you know, like Fleetwood Mac and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and, you know, Johnny Cash and stuff like that. So I was definitely introduced to a lot of good music at a young age. And my mom was listening to like Bonnie Raitt and Johnny Mitchell. So I had all these great things, but I wanted to find my own, you know, like my own generation's music. So I don't know. I think I would just like browse the local record store. We had this cool record store called Tower when I was growing up in Sacramento. And I would just kind of like wander around and see what stood out to me. And um, yeah, Tricky was like one of the first ones. I think also I would like see who was on the cover of like Spin or whatever, you know, and like read those and just be like, okay, I'm going to check out, you know, Bjork or PJ Harvey or Massive Attack or whatever, like whoever, whoever was like in these magazines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I, I love that. Uh, you know, I mean, Tower Records, I live in Southern California and Tower Records was a huge thing for me as well. Just kind of wandering the aisles and looking at things like even though you mm-hmm. had no context for what it was like, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, getting we're looking at Cannibal Corpse and being like, oh, my God, what is this? Like two yeah. mutilated, like entrails ripped from a virgin's cunt. Like, what the hell is this? But like it was, yeah. you know, I, I didn't buy the record because I was terrified of it. But just like having that physical experience of like i got an hour to kill like i'm just gonna wander around and like maybe i'll find Mm -hmm. something that speaks to me yeah and then they i think they used to have those listening booths there as well which is so cool that's such like a something that's missing in in society now i mean there might still be some record stores like that but they used to be such a thing it's so cool yeah, for sure. The listening booths were such a huge thing. And, like, you, you know, they they had like maybe two or three in the store. And then sometimes I remember being just like, you know, a really stupid, punishing kid and just like, you know, lining up behind somebody just like, you know, hey, I'm waiting. Oh, oh, right. <laughs> it's like, come Thank on, you. dude, give give them some space. But no, yeah. I was excited to listen to whatever it was that was in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so did you I guess did you got like, you know, good grades in school. Like, did you, you know, I guess find yourself, uh, you know, quote unquote, applying yourself as a counselor would say? not really like I was I was like average you know I I wasn't getting like straight A's or anything like that and then math was really difficult for me like I I failed math a few times I had to like retake stuff um yeah numbers have never really been my thing it's just like as soon as someone starts talking numbers to me it's like my brain just starts to like scramble or something but um (laughs) yeah so I, I, I somehow got through it eventually and you know graduated high school and stuff but I wasn't like a great student like I one of my biggest shames was that like I was one of the only people in my class that didn't get picked to do like uh, honors English because I thought I was like you know <laughs> really good like English student but I don't know I think I maybe disagreed with the teacher too many times and he was kind of like you know yeah they don't like that fuck off yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. It w- I'll let you in AP English as long as you're quiet Chelsea <laughs> yeah exactly and you're like I mean I, I was quiet but for some reason in English class I just always wanted to like share my stupid opinion. Right. Well, I mean, I think people that, you know, get drawn to the creative arts, I think, you know, English is, you know, such a, a, a parallel because there are mm-hmm. so many different interpretations of it. You know, clearly math is black and white, but you know, when you get in there and you can have a discussion with an adult about how you feel about catcher in the rye, it's like, Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. Like you, you feel like you're, you have some voice or power. I know. Totally. <laughs> Even though they're like, yeah, you're wrong about that. Yeah. It's like, I, yeah. I identify with, with Holden Caulfield and it's like, okay, well you need to be with a counselor after school. Right. Right. Totally. <laughs> um, and when, you know, when you label yourself as a, as a dork, like, uh, you know, there, I mean, clearly that word, you know, nerd and dork that exists in the lexicon now mean so much, so many different things than what it did in the, you know, eighties and nineties and stuff like that. Mm. Um, you know, were so labeling yourself as such, like, was it one of those things where you're just like, I just primarily kept to myself and, you know, tried to you know, navigate these worlds with uh, minimal impact in regards to like people paying attention to me. Um, or was that like, no, I, I had a group of friends, but you know, we just obviously weren't the popular kids. Yeah. I think it was just that I was really, really awkward, like very socially awkward. And like, whenever I would try to talk to people, they were just like, who are you? And like, what are you talking about? But I did have, <laughs> you know, fortunately I did have like a small, you know, close knit group of friends and we would kind of always do everything together outside of school and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, I was just, I was just awkward and I was either like really, you know, like manic and hyper and excited, or I was just like 
introverted and quiet. So people just thought I was a weirdo. Right. They're like, what, uh, what, what mood are we getting today? What is, mm-hmm. is it the bouncing off the walls? You're excited about the thing or is it, you know, a wallflower? Yeah. And pretty much still like that, honestly. So. Well, it's funny you say that. Cause that that's, you know, in each kind of subsequent record of yours and the sort of, you know, quote unquote public display of like, you know, who you are, it, it definitely seems like there's an ebb and flow with that of, you know, you being, you know, more comfortable, whatever, exposing yourself from a, you know, mm-hmm. public facing perspective. And then there's other times where it seems like, nah, I'm just going to kind of, you know, yeah, here's my record. And like, I'm going to do the thing and tour and promote it and stuff. But, you know, I'm not yeah. going to be as public facing. Yeah, exactly. There's like, I mean, most of the time, I think I'm on that tip. But then there's like times where I suddenly feel inspired to like share more and, you know, just like, try to show people that I'm a real person and I'm not you know, like just some, I mean, I am a total freak who's like, you know, living out in the mountains, but I'm also, you know, a real person with, you know, real things. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know how to describe this. Basically, you just said it correctly. Sometimes I feel open to share and talk about what the record's about and stuff. But most of the time, I just feel like, yeah, take the record, interpret it for yourself. And, you know, I know what it means to me and I want it to mean whatever it's supposed to mean to you, you know. Pull out your web browser and visit soundrink.com. You go to a ton of shows, right? This service will pipe you into the coolest and most amazing VIP experiences that you can have at these tours or shows that are coming through your city. I, I know when you say the word VIP experience, like sometimes it makes you think of something really stupid, like in Las Vegas where they give you, you know, like a, a souvenir plastic cup or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking about my experience, but this is the real deal because. Soundrink works hand in hand with artists and managers to give these people that are buying these packages a really unique experience. It's really cool. Like sometimes there are silkscreen posters. Sometimes it's like grabbing coffee with your favorite band before the show. Sometimes it's playing a game with your favorite band before the show. All of these are supremely unique and like I said, tailored to every single band's taste and preferences and comfort level. It's really, really cool. And plus, you're able to walk away with usually a physical component of whatever your VIP experience is. I just love this company so much and they really, really believe in this in the biggest way possible. And plus, it supports all of the bands that are out there hustling, making the ends meet, okay? So go to soundrank.com and find your favorite tour coming through your city and get that VIP package. Thanks. Now on with the rest of the show. Well, I, I think the idea, especially when you're talking about any sense of, um, you know, public attention, and it can be, you know, as small as like, oh, wow, I sold out a 150 cap room in my hometown. Like people are still paying attention to you. And so there's that idea of the expectation that like, oh my gosh, this person is cool. And it's like, well, no, just because I decided to play guitar and there's some people that show up, like that doesn't mean I'm any different than you. And why are you putting me up on this weird pedestal when I'm just a human? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's been like too much of a worry about that. Sure. <laughs> that with me, but... Uh, <laughs> well, but I'm I sure I, I'm sure people place the, uh, you know, there there's like uh, the, the Chelsea that is the character and there's probably the Chelsea that is, you know, you as a real human being. And I'm sure people conflate the two. Right. But I mean, they are like pretty closely connected as well. So that, that's the weird thing about having this project like under my actual name. And, you know, it is like a very personal project. But then I try to like have this separation. And that's probably why I feel like I need to have, you know, kind of a, a bit more privacy than a lot of people in my field require. 
or even want because like it's just everything about the project and music is so much me and so sometimes I feel like I just need to put that out there and then like retreat a little bit right you're like you're gonna you're gonna get too much of me this is this is yeah yeah and it's just I don't know it's like I've especially lately I've started saying no to so many things and I think it might be a little frustrating to some of my team but it's just like I'm really not I don't know like I I just want to have good conversations and you know do a few really cool photo shoots and stuff I just don't feel the need to be like putting myself out there all the time especially because like I used I used to do that a lot and then there would just be so many you know so many especially like photos and stuff that I didn't feel comfortable with I didn't feel like they were had really anything to do with me it was more just like this team of people who wanted to like I don't know do whatever they wanted to do and then I just felt like I looked and felt really awkward and stuff but I've just kind of been like I don't know using using people that are really close to me to do like photos and artwork and stuff like that from you know for the past couple of records and sure stepping back a bit from like you know people that I've never met before like trying to create some peace around me or something which you know I'm, I appreciate that anyone would even want to do that but yeah it's just I've just kind of started to like say no to things that I don't really feel fully comfortable with sure no, well that's cool because there there is that notion of you know being a you know dancing monkey or a doll or a performer of just like oh I'm like merely this tool and you know like people feel comfortable with that but then if you do feel any reservations of it you know you have to take that internal audit of yourself to be like wait a minute I don't want that yeah and I think as I'm getting older too like I'm just I just want to like do the visual projects and stuff that I want to do and like present myself in my own you know whatever I'm feeling at the time like I I just don't feel like I'm I'm really in a state of mind or physical (laughs) presence to just like go into any situation and try on any kind of clothes or whatever like I just I'm kind of over it and I have like my own sense of personal style at this point in my life and I just kind of want to go with that. Yeah. You want to exist in that. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's much more difficult to do that as a, you know, whatever, 17, 18, 19 year old person. Um, because you're just like, well, I don't want to bum anybody out and I don't really know who I am. I think I do, but you know, yeah. Once you get of an age where it's like, oh yeah, you know, when you're, when you're 30, you're like, oh yeah, I, I pretty much know who I am. <laughs> like, of course there's an evolution there, but you know, there is, yeah, yeah. you're much more comfortable in your skin when you're 30 than you're 15 and 16, 17. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, and I didn't start really doing this until like my mid twenties. So there's just like a five year period where I was just really kind of like, like you said, I, I kind of felt bad saying no to anyone. So I just kind of like did everything anyone asked of me and just realized that a lot of it was like turning out, um, to where I would be kind of like embarrassed and wouldn't want to like post any of these photos or pieces or whatever because it just didn't feel like it aligned with um my music or who I am as a person yeah anyways I feel like I'm just rambling on about this no 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 but but I think it's I I, I mean I'm glad you're speaking about it because I think it's you know important for people of any creative art to consider that um and not even from a level of like overexposure and you know because I mean those words exist now whereas they didn't really you know whatever 15 20 years ago Mm -hmm. in the independent music industry it's like I mean, I remember the, I played in, you know, punk and hardcore bands for many years and there'd be times where it, you know, we would play local shows, like, I don't know, seven shows in a month. And like, sometimes Mm -hmm. like there was no notion of like, quote unquote, overplaying. It's like, oh yeah, you just played as many shows as possible. But it's like now that seems like an insane idea. Yeah. I mean, there's, 
And plus there's just like so many more bands and so many more events going on that it's like, yeah, it's, it's probably good to just pick a few and stick to those. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you got to make yourself scarce away. And if people are like, Hey, I could see, uh, I could see Chelsea for the seventh time in Los Angeles, you know, in a month or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I honestly kind of think I may have like overplayed over the past uh, few years, not this year, obviously, but uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Just cause I wanted to do a lot of like opening tours and stuff, which means that you know, I'm doing my headlining tour, but then I'm also coming back to these same cities and opening and then doing it again. So I just felt like maybe it was a little bit too much. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Where you're like, oh yeah, I've seen, uh, you know, I, I've, I've seen this, this eight block radius three times this year. Maybe yeah. I should chill out on this Cleveland show or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, you know, as you were, you know, finding your guitar and finding your voice and stuff like that, um, did you like, you know, did you play in any bands or anything like that? Did you do any like, you know, awful, um, you know, uh, solo acoustic shows and stuff like that at local coffee houses and stuff like that? Um, or, you know, oh, yeah. Okay, good. I just want to make sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the first music I, I was making, it was very just like awful singer songwriter in my opinion. Sure. And, you know, I even made like a record, um, that was all this awful singer songwriter music and, you know, started to kind of put it out and then literally was just like, I don't, this isn't me. Like I want to make music and, you know, I'm like figuring it out, but I don't really feel like this is the voice that I want to like enter the world with. So I literally threw like a box of 250 CDs into a dumpster behind my apartment. <laughs> but oh. I, I know, unfortunately the record was kind of already like online and things like that. So it's still out there somewhere, but um, yeah, it just wasn't like, there's not, there's some okay moments on it. You know, like I was playing with really good musicians and I got to record it at like this really great, you know, historical Sacramento studio called the hangar. It doesn't exist anymore. Unfortunately, oh yeah. But, yeah. I've heard of that place. Yeah. 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 Um, so it was a really good learning experience, but yeah, I just think that the writing I was doing back then, it was like way too lyrical, way too like, you know, just typical like heartbreak, blah, blah, blah. You know, the stuff you're writing in your early twenties when you're going through like your first real relationships and right. stuff like that. And it <laughs> right. just, I don't know, it felt too like cheesy to me. So I wanted to kind of like turn my back on it, even if it was kind of already out there and, and people were supporting it and stuff. It was just like, no, nah, this isn't me. And, I kind of started from scratch from there and like took a little bit of a break and then, um, you know, went back to the beginning. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I was definitely playing a lot of, a lot of coffee shops and, you know, I think my first show was at like a crepe shop in Sacramento, you know, nice. Um, I'd play at pizza places just wherever, but yeah. it was good. Cause I, you know, figured shit out in front of people, which is, you know, really important part of, being a musician and being a writer is like seeing how the audience reacts to it and responds to it and getting feedback and stuff. And yeah, I had some bands too. I mean, when I was in like community college after high school, I saw a flyer um, that was like, you know, all these like influences like Pixies and stuff like that. And it's like looking for a female bass player. Mm-hmm. And I actually didn't play the bass, but I played guitar and I was like, so I called up these guys and I'm like, I don't really play bass, but I'll, I'll learn, you know? And mm-hmm. so that's what I did. And, and that was a really cool experience. Like we just wrote these really like experimental, like probably, you know, awful, like definitely awful songs that were very much like Pixies and Radiohead influenced. And, um, but yeah, just like picking up and learning a new instrument and like playing with these people that I'd never met was like kind of the beginning for me to have the courage to really jump into 
trying to make music as like a public thing. And then after that is kind of when I started doing solo stuff. Like I knew that I was never going to like really figure out my own voice in this band because I was just one little part of it. And so I, you know, went, went solo from there. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, did you, uh, I, did you uh, like I, tour with that project or play shows with that or anything? I mean, probably a few shows, like mostly like house shows and stuff like that, but yeah. it was nothing like we never toured or anything like that. It was very, very just like, you know, chill and local. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, that's, um, that's fun. Yeah. It was cool though. It's called sound down, please. Nice. And, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, I went, I was doing solo stuff for a while and then I met, um, my drummer to this day, Jess Gowrie, um, a couple years into doing solo stuff, actually right as I was making like that record and I was looking for a drummer and had recently met her and she's like, why don't you give me a try? So we actually, the first thing we did together was, um, a Dolly Parton tribute show. That was really fun. Oh, nice. So we played that together with my dad on lead guitar and then. Um, yeah, she helped me make some of the songs on this record. I would say the better ones are probably ones that she's on because <laughs> she's a great drummer, but also a really great producer. And um, yeah, and then so we st- we started a band for a couple of years called Red Host with another guy named Ian, and that was really fun. It was like hard rock, and I just she you know really pushed me to be like the strong front person, and I learned a lot about that because I was you know obviously always very shy and that was another learning experience. But then again, I just felt like I knew I still had this kind of like solo personal path to follow. And I eventually had to go back to that. And then we reunited after like seven years and she's playing with me again, which is really amazing and fun. Yeah. It's full circle stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was something I was going to hit on a little bit later in regards to the, you know, the, the shyness, because I, I definitely think that there's a lot of people who kind of become, you know, un- unwilling front, per- like an unwilling front person, whether it's like they, uh, you know, they're the only person in their group of friends that doesn't play an instrument. So they just get thrown, you know, a mic and yell in it or whatever. Um, it, it, but then there, there's always that, that idea that, you know, I, I guess I'll be the person that is going to, you know, sing this thing. And, you know, clearly with a, a, a solo project, like you have no choice but to do that. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I guess how did that, uh, I guess shyness, I mean, cause you know, clearly it still exists cause you, you know, you are who you are, but you know, how do you, uh, what was the evolution of that for you to be like, okay, I, I feel comfortable mm-hmm. enough where I can get up there and not be like, you know, a hundred percent awkward. I can maybe like dial it back to like 95% or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not like I was an unwilling front person because, you know, I always had an instrument in my hands, like anytime I've been in a band or doing my own stuff, but, um, it's more just that I, I kind of always knew that my voice was my main instrument and my best instrument, you know, like I'm an all right guitar player, but like at the, end of the, at the end of the day, I'm really, you know, a singer and a songwriter. So I think that I kind of was like maybe an unwilling front person in that way where mm-hmm. like that was my main talent in, in the musical world. Um, so even though it wasn't like my super desire to be like this front person you know I just kind of had to learn how and eventually you know connected with it at times but yeah and um after Red Host I started playing solo shows again and I went to a friend's house before a show at a coffee shop and she had just got this like used book about like Victorian morning fashion and like there's a lot of Victorian houses in Sacramento and like Victorian fashion and stuff like that is just a, a thing there and um, we were all kind of into it, me and my friends. And so that night I, I dressed like a Victorian 
you know, widow in mourning. And I just wore like this long black dress and a, I sort of fashioned like a, a lace veil out of this old lace cardigan that I had and played the show like that. And I mean, I kind of did it on accident, but then once I was playing like that, I just realized that it helped me so much because I felt like there was this, you know, barrier between the audience and myself. And it wasn't so much about what I looked like or having to have this presence, you know, I could just focus on the music and on singing. And so I actually stuck with that look for, you know, a couple of years and, you know, played small shows and bigger shows like that. But during the apocalypsis era, um, part, part of the meaning of that word is, uh, lifting of the veil. Mm-hmm. And so it, it kind of just felt like symbolic to finally get past that. And, yeah, actually lift the veil and like connect with the audience and learn how to make eye contact and learn how to find a stage presence within myself. It wasn't just, you know, putting something in front of my face. Sure. So yeah, I think that's probably apocalypsis. Uh, when I was playing shows in that era, that's when I finally like moved past that and started to, you know, become an actual performer and, and learn how to be a front person again. You love new music. There's a new record that is coming out on February 14th, this Friday, called Power Through Terror by the band Great American Ghosts on E1 Heavy. I love this band so much. I got keyed into them many years ago uh, on their subsequent releases. But uh, this is like the full culmination of what they've been working towards. And, you know, really, it's kind of, even though they've put out new music, it's kind of their debut LP in many respects. So we're going to listen to a song called Prison of Hate. And uh, we'll check it out. So here. There we go. What a killer, killer track. I love it so much. And like I said, it is coming out February 14th, this Friday. So you can stream it everywhere. I'll include a Spotify link for you to check it out in the show notes. And uh, just really, really want to encourage you to check out this record. Check out the band when they come through on tour. And uh, yeah, support the hardworking bands of America. Okay. (laughs) Now on with the show. The, the Victorian thing is is so interesting too, just because yeah, anybody that's visited, um, you know, certain parts of Northern California, like totally sees that. You know, if you, whatever you visit the Winchester Mystery House, and it's just like, you know that's mm-hmm. like the Victorian personified. Um, totally. But, but yeah, no one would know that if they didn't, you know, have that experience in that that particular area. Yeah, exactly. Sacramento and San Francisco. It's like they're known for their old Victorian grand houses that are now just like, you know, split into four sections and a bunch of people with roommates are living there and stuff or much of them at least. But yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, you know, and uh, you know, I presume because there was no real, um, you know, path for you in regards to like, Oh, I'm going to make a living off of music. Like, you know, clearly you were doing other things, you know, to sustain yourself from a living perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so like, what was, I guess the kind of path for you, you were like, okay, well, I'm just going to, you know, whatever work these jobs or whatever, as I am just kind of pursuing whatever my creative uh, freedom is. Um, and I'm not going to pursue a quote unquote career, um, from a, you know, real life job perspective. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I went to like community college and, um, actually right out of high school, I went to massage therapy school and started doing that for a while and stuff. So I did kind of 
try to again be like a quote unquote normal right. you know, person <laughs> or find or find like a normal career path or something that you know sure but at the, at the same time it's like you know my dad being a musician like kind of always encouraged me like you just keep keep at it you know like I think that was a big help is having both my parents were weren't like you need to get a real job and go back to school and blah blah, blah. they were just like yeah just just keep going like you you know you obviously have this voice like just keep working at it and stuff so um so yeah I guess that's what I did <laughs> is just keep working day jobs but at the same time you know slowly starting to like focus more and more on my musical career and um, obviously it started very small and my dad always said like, you had to, you need to move to a different city if you're going to ever like really branch out as a musician, because it's like, I had such a good support system in Sacramento, which is amazing. But at the same time, I really needed to like push myself to, um, you know, to find people who didn't know me and see if those people would like my music as well, you know, um, which is why I eventually or one of the reasons I eventually moved to Los Angeles. But, but yeah, before that, for sure. I mean, I was like, I worked as like a baker and a, in a cafe and I worked in an office job for like four or five years and mm-hmm. I was horrible. I don't know why they didn't fire me. Like I actually think <laughs> like I was, I was so awful and always fucked things up and like would disappear for hours at a time and stuff. Like I actually really think that the owner was like, silently supporting my musical career or something like maybe maybe this is all in my head but they definitely should have fired me like I was an awful awful office worker but but they they took pity on you yeah (laughs) yeah and and like there's a lot of people that were supportive there as well and would just kind of like come to my shows and stuff and you know when I, I eventually left the office job to go on like my first sort of European tour of sorts which which was actually like um a group of performance artists that I was friends with um, mainly Steve Anoni, who's like one of my art mentors. And yeah, he took me on this like European tour and I was kind of just like the resident musician at the end of the night. And I remember when I quit to go do that, like everyone was so kind and they like announced it in front of everyone and stuff. It was really sweet. So yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Well, it, it's, it, it's funny when, you know, the uh, art, the sort of independent art world uh, runs into, you know, like, and I don't mean this disparagingly, but like civilian life, you know, where it's like people are like, oh, you're into a thing. And like, oh, my gosh, you're you're playing a show in New York or like you're doing this. Yeah. And people are just like their minds are blown. They're like, oh, my gosh. Like, wait, what do you mean you're going to Europe, Chelsea? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's adorable. Um, and so, like you said, you know, once once you kind of uh, saw the path of like, well, I, I need to, you know, be in Los Angeles if, uh, you know, closer to the proximity of obviously quote unquote where it all happens. Um, was that a, uh, I guess, was that a scary prospect for you being like, all right, I pick up stakes and do it down here. Yeah. I mean, I, I had like a small label at the time that was based out of New York and there wasn't like a ton of support there, honestly, but I think I just at least knew that I could, you know, release a record through them. So I was doing that, but then, um, so yeah, it was definitely scary though, you know, like not really knowing that many people and just, I literally moved into a house with like strangers and stuff like that. So, um, it was, it was a, a weird time, you know, especially that first year in Los Angeles. But, um, fortunately like my bandmate, um, a couple of my bandmates moved down with me, which helped. Um, I kind of told my Sacramento based band that like I was going to do this and that if they wanted to come with me and pursue this, they're welcome. But if not, like I'm 
you know, eventually we'd probably have to find other band members just because it would be too hard to like have a six hour difference between us. Um, so two of them moved down with me, uh, Ben and Kevin and yeah, uh, Ben was friends with the band death heaven, um, and used to play, I think shows with them or something like central California. And they had just signed with Sergeant house management and invited us to a party over at Sergeant house. And, um, yeah, like the first time I met Kathy from Sergeant House, she she had already known about me from someone that worked with her who had like filmed a live session with me and she had heard it and really, really loved it. So um, even like that first night I met her, she was like, I want to work with you. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so yeah, after about like a year of living there, maybe even less, like fortunately I found this sort of like home and, you know, Kathy and her team really took me in and, you know, helped me get out of like another a musical situation that wasn't ideal and stuff. So yeah, fortunately I, I found my place pretty quickly and it's not like I, I found like a big music scene. It was just like having this support from, you know, this like rad woman manager and, and her label was really, really helpful and kind of like started to redefine myself as, as an artist through having this strong support system. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I mean, yeah, Kath, Kathy's a great person. I worked with her many, mm-hmm. many years ago. She used to manage this band called Planes Mistaken for Stars, and I oh yeah signed that band to a record label, and so I got to know her there. But like, it was oh, always very cool. Yeah, it was always really interesting to see her. I mean, even then, so that was like early two thousands. Her attempting to build this this sense of community that you know many labels attempt to uh, labels and management companies attempt to uh, have, but very rarely is it executed appropriately, but Kathy for sure has been able to, you know, do that. And then clearly you felt it as you started to, you know, get into the, the ecosystem of that. It's really cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the first, I think the first real tour I went on actually was opening for Russian circles, who's another Sergeant house band. And that was like kind of my introduction to this like family and they taught me so much as well. So yeah, it's, it's definitely family vibes and it's really cool. Band merch is in everybody's life, whether you're a rabid music fan or a person who is just like, you know, I want to wear something on the weekends. And rockabilia.com is the place where you can satisfy both of those people. Use the code PC100Words and you can get 15% off your order. And what makes this company different than the rest is they have so many options for you to dive into. Of all genres of music, you can get Anything that you could possibly shake a stick at when it comes to bands, you want posters, you want scarves, hoodies, t-shirts, all of these options are available on Rockabilia. I encourage you just to poke around, spend a good 15, 20 minutes looking around the site, and you will be able to fill your cart with all of the awesome goodies that they have. And it's independently owned, ships from the Midwest, so it gets to you really, really quick. They have an amazing customer service staff to be able to help you out if there are any issues and I, I just love the company so much i will order from them on a regular basis and uh yeah i would also encourage you to dive back in the archives because we have a discussion with frankie who is uh, one of the co-owners at that company and uh, it was a, it was a great discussion about band merge but anyways pc 100 words that is the code that gets you 15 percent off go to rockabilia.com and use it now here's the rest of the show as things started to, you know, you started to feel at home in Los Angeles and, you know, play out and be in a, um, you know, in a better space than what you were when you first moved down to Los Angeles and stuff. Um, you know, was it, was it difficult? I mean, I I know that you mentioned, you know, clearly you had a team of people working with you and, you know, uh, people watching out for your best business interests and stuff. Um, but you know, as things started to get quote unquote real where it's like, Oh wow. Like, you know, the music industry is paying attention to what I'm doing and I'm selling tickets and all these other things. Um, 
was that is that a side of uh, your, I guess, artistic um, expression that you're just like, I don't want to be too involved with that. Like, of course, you're going to make decisions on it because it's your livelihood. But um, you kind of try to separate those two worlds or are you comfortable with everything besides the number aspect of it? <laughs> yeah, essentially, like I, I think I kind of have always known that at the end of the day, I really need to like be a part of every decision that's made, you know? So I never really wanted to give that up. And, um, you know, I think like sometimes in the studio that can probably be a bit annoying for whoever's like producing or engineering or something, because I really like to just be there for every aspect and kind of like sign off on everything. And, um, yeah, so I've I've always kind of just known that and it's, it's a lot of work, you know, being sort of like wanting to sign off on everything and be a part of like every aspect. But, yeah, I just feel like, I guess at a certain point I was kind of like, that has worked for me thus far. And I don't want to just like suddenly give that up and let someone else make like creative decisions for me or something. So I've just kind of always stuck to that and, you know, put in the time and the work to make sure that everything feels aligned and cohesive. And, you know, not saying that I've always done like an amazing job or something like that has always been perfect, but sure. it's at least, it's at least always been like real and honest. Right. And it's always been of your, uh, accord and decision. Cause you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had many peers that, um, you know, really try to insulate themselves from that side of the business because they're like, I don't, uh, you know, like I'm not good at it. I don't care about it. As long as I feel like I'm not getting ripped off then you know, I'm fine. Um, but yeah, yeah. some people have the luxury of it and obviously because you know, it, it's under your moniker, you can't really turn that side off. <laughs> well, that's true. And I mean, I, you know, it's like you said, the luxury too. It's like, I, I still am kind of like, I'm an independent artist in a way, you know, like I, I work really closely with Sergeant house and stuff, but we, we do, I don't know. I don't really know what I mean by that, but it's like, we're still kind of like, it is, it's like a family operation, you know, <laughs> like we're not, we're not some like huge, like yeah. corporate, corporate label or something. So, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's a, I mean, essentially it's like Sergeant house is a small business. You're a small business. Like you guys, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. You guys are working to build a small business into a, a small medium sized business. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Sergeant house is like a powerhouse. Don't get me wrong. It's totally. just, it is like on a, it is a small business and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a whole different ball game than, uh, you know, whatever, every major label around, like, you know, that's not the world that they exist in. Right. Yeah. Um, so as you started to, you know, tour and put yourself out there from, from that perspective, um, have, you know, like, are you comfortable touring? Um, I mean, obviously you are because you do it. Um, and it's, you know, a function of getting your music out there, but you know, how's your relationship changed with, uh, touring over time? Um, I mean, I think just uh, the whole old age thing of practice, you know, just practice makes perfect. I guess, it's, again, I hate that word perfect. So I'm not saying <laughs> there's any perfection here, but I, yeah. I guess. No, you're, like, you are. Pre- I, I totally understand. You're perfect. You're good. I get it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just like keeping at something, you know, like the, the fact that we've just been my bandmates and I have different incarnations have just been doing it over and over and over for the past like eight or so years you know, that has made it get to a point where it's, it's not as scary or awkward or whatever as it used to be, you know, like it's just the first day, the first few days of a tour are always a bit awkward because you're just figuring out your team and your setup and like whatever situation you're in, whether it's headlining or opening, but you know, past that, it's like, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with it. I just, you know, I have my days where I don't feel like being in front of people and I might go a little mad on stage, but that might actually be 
an interesting thing for people to experience sometimes. I don't know if it's interesting or bad, but yeah, there's certain times where I just like lose my shit on stage a little bit more just because I I don't sure. even want to be up there. So it's like my spirit is like throwing some sort of tantrum or something, you know? Right. But um or I'm just like exercising whatever demons I'm feeling that day or something. But but yeah, I'm definitely a lot more comfortable with it than I used to be for sure. Um I just got to a sort of breaking point um in twenty eighteen and knew I needed to take a break. So I took most of uh, twenty nineteen off and about eight months off. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I, I think too, uh, there becomes this sort of like perpetual motion machine that musicians get on of the, you know, okay, here's my album cycle. And you know, here I have to f- in that album cycle, I have to fit in writing for the next one. And then, you know, when you don't experience anything sort of, um, you know, ar- artistic or connected to real life, you know, that's when bands or artists, you know, write their second or third record about touring, you know, <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. this, and then it, it becomes, you know, kind of a, a cliche at that point. So, you know, I commend mm-hmm. you for stepping away because you, you you have to in order to be able to, I guess, not only recharge that physical battery, but then, you know, actually get ideas. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, touring in itself is a lot of inspiration and, you know, not just like the act of touring, but the people that you meet and the experiences that you have and stuff, it can be a little more abstract. But I also actually did write a few songs on my newest record about being on the road, but I actually kind of wanted to write that classic, like on the road feel, you know, sure. Cause, cause I love those old songs that are like, you know, about being on the road and like the beauty and the chaos of it all and stuff. So, um, I definitely channeled that into like the song highway and a little bit on the mother road and deranged for rock and roll and stuff. But again, it's kind of in my own abstract way, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Not calling you a walking cliche by writing songs like that. Oh but, no, no, Yeah. No. <laughs> but it's just the, the, the notion of, you know, feeling so creatively spent that you have to lean into writing, you know, 12 to 14 songs about that, you know, tour bus experience or whatever. Right. Exactly. And I, and I knew that I needed to like focus on a bit of like personal healing and focus on, you know, my own, you know, spiritual practice and stuff like that, because there's just not a lot of time or space, uh, on, on the road when you're constantly surrounded by people and constantly in motion and stuff to really focus on those things. And, and that definitely has been like a great source of inspiration this past year, being able to spend the time to do that. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Um, and kind of on that same tip, the, um, you know, because you were exposed to a lot of that stuff, like the metaphysical nature of, you know, the world and nature and, you know, (laughs) the big questions of, is there a God, where do we go after we die and stuff like that, you know, clearly, um, you know, uh, weaves itself through your music. And, you know, I'm sure that, the people that are, are fans of what it is that you do um, have a very intense relationship with you. And I'm sure, you know, if they get a chance to, you know, speak to you after show and stuff like that, the conversations you have are probably pretty, you know, um, uh, for lack of a better term, intense. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, do you kind of notice that sort of, uh, uh, I guess, boomeranging, boomeranging effect of, uh, you know, you're intense and then the, the, the support is intense and uh, that sort of like um, cycle that happens? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, especially the feedback on this last tour that I just um, finished a few weeks ago, like the feedback was very much that we went through something together in this show because a lot of my songs are, like you said, it's like about exploring the afterlife and asking the big questions and, you know, showing both sides of the story and, you know, the beauty, but also the darkness of everything. And so we're kind of going through this like shadow process together. So that definitely does bring up a lot of, you know, different stories with, with uh, 
with people that I talked to after the show. And uh, again, for lack of a better word, I have heard of uh, heard a lot of intense stories um, relating to my music. But I, that's kind of like what keeps me going to hear that other people are relating to these, um, you know, <laughs> these strange journeys that I'm presenting to them through songs. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of music is about asking the right questions rather than like answering the questions for you, you know? So really I'm just kind of like presenting all these deep questions and the audience and I are kind of like trying to figure out the answer together. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I really like that uh, representation because it definitely feels... <clears throat> like, you know, there, there are certain artists and the way that they express themselves is very much like, you know, here is a blueprint of what I went through. Um, and you know, and that can be helpful on one side, but then, you know, on the other side is <laughs> what you're doing where, well, not even on the other side, but another mm-hmm. approach is just the idea of like, here is this, um, you know, here are these thoughts, uh, you know, I don't have the answers. Uh, no one mm-hmm. has the answers, <laughs> but like, let's, yeah. let's try to figure this out, whatever this may mean to you, uh, personally. Uh, and hopefully we can do it kind of together in this process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and so, and w- two, two more things I want to hit on before I let you go. One of them was the idea that, um, you know, once, uh, attention started to get paid to you, especially that whole, you know, the, the trope of, uh, you know, being a female musician and like all of that stuff, you know, clearly you've always, um, you know, diverted away from like, you know, not saying that you would ever be comfortable being labeled Gwen Stefani, but like, you know, that old notion of like, oh yes, like I'm the center of attention because I am a female playing music or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, was that kind of a, a, not, not a struggle for you. Cause I know that you're smart enough to know what you were walking into, but you know, did you have to kind of battle any of that sort of, um, you know, representation that people, uh, put upon you from a label perspective? I think at the beginning of like my touring career, I was, you know, like I would get that question a lot and like, what's it like to be a girl in a band? Like, uh, you know, most women and totally. bands have, have gotten that question. And I, never really knew how to answer it. And I, I kind of always like had this defense mechanism up. I think, um, I felt very like androgynous and in between gender for most of my twenties. Um, and I think that was kind of like also my way of just being like, I don't really know what it's like to be a woman in a band. Cause I'm just my own person. I'm my own kind of alien being, you know, like I don't right. really feel, I don't really feel like a woman or a man, you know? 
But when I got into, you know, a few years into my 30s and I was writing my album Hispun, I don't know, something shifted in me psychologically, physiologically, like spiritually, that I'd actually really started connecting with being a woman more. And I think that kind of came at the time when people started to, uh, or stopped asking that question so much. And it became more of like, a, don't fucking ask me what it's like to be a girl in the band. <laughs> right, you know? like, right. Let's stop like, this. I'm, I'm not even going to answer that. Like, it's just a stupid question. And, and, you know, obviously like women are dominating the music industry just as much as men are, just as much as like non-binary people are or trans people. So it's like really, it's a great time to be you know, feeling really like comfortable in my own skin as a woman, because I don't really have to answer that as much. And it's more just about being an artist and using my voice. And a lot of my music is kind of about like finding that own, you know, my own like empowerment and my own sense of uh, what I define as femininity rather than like what society traditionally thinks of as feminine. So, yeah, yeah. no, I, I mean, I, and I appreciate you answering that because I, I think it, it, it was interesting watching your own evolution just, to, you know, as an outsider and appreciator of your art, of the way that, you know, you evolved into that, because I do, I agree with you, where right? I think that, uh, you know, a lot of those conversations, you know, could be diffused by just the way that you were simply presenting yourself where it's just like, uh, well, yeah, I don't feel comfortable, you know, labeling myself a, uh, you know, more masculine or feminine, like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just me. And I think that that it was, it, that is, you know, ultimately an empowering way to, you know, have these conversations rather than just being like, oh, you're a tough guy band or like, oh, you know, wow, you, you can play guitar well for a female or <laughs> like it just diffuses yeah. all of that. Yeah, I think in the end, my music has always been about contrasts and balances and the sort of push and pull and cycles and things like that. So it's, it's always kind of been about, you know, finding my own sense of masculinity and femininity and soft and strong and like just pushing those two things together and going back and forth between them. Like that's just kind of always been like the, the center and the catalyst for my music. And I'm sure it's exciting for you too, to be able to paint with such a broad uh, canvas rather than just being, you know, this, whatever the, this version of yourself that, you know, you are comfortable with, but you know, that you're like, well, no, I, I've, I've been able to paint with, you know, both sides of the brush, so to speak. Yeah, totally. And it's like, who knows, maybe in like 10 or 15 years, I'll start to feel a different way or start to feel more like I did in my twenties or something, you know? So it's, it is nice to have these like different perspectives and this different feeling these past few years that I do feel more like, you know, comfortable being a woman and expressing that and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, the last thing that, uh, you know, I always found interesting too, about, uh, your, you know, arts and music and everything like that is, you know, you were able to express uh, a lot of heaviness without actually being, you know, the stereotypical version of heavy being like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, they sound like electric wizard or whatever. Um, mm. and uh, you know, you've been embraced by, you know, many people that are, you know, into more heavier styles of music rather than, you know, and I'm granted, I'm painting a very <laughs> painting people with a very large brush here, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've always found it interesting because, uh, that, people are willing to uh, follow along on certain journeys as long as they're presented um, under a certain banner where it's like, you know, being attached to Sergeant house, people are very much, you know, they're like, okay, I'm along for the ride. Like, you know, this band cannot sound anything like these other bands or whatever. And I'll probably pay attention to it. Um, was it interesting for you to kind of get embraced by that particular community, like the more, you know, whatever metal community for lack of a better term? Yeah, that has been interesting. And I think one of the reasons that I, did kind of go with this project as being under my name and being like at its core, 
you know, my project, I can't really call it a solo project anymore, but you know, like it's, it's my project, I guess. And I knew that I didn't ever want to really stick to being under a band name because I wanted to be able to follow these different directions. And, you know, obviously metal is like a big influence on me and has been since I was a kid listening to like black Sabbath and stuff. But, um, I don't know. It's like, I've, I've kind of always found a way to express that even if it's not expressly in the song itself or something like even, you know, whether it's like the, the clothing that I'm drawn to, that's a bit inspired by like classic black metal gauntlets and things like that. Or whether it's like, you know, just this like heavy sort of white noise or like an expansiveness in the music that is very much inspired by metal and, um, you know, my past exploring black metal. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I definitely had a couple records that were leaning more into like the metal and rock and roll side, you know, like Abyss and His Spun. Obviously I was like sonically trying to kind of like match things, mm-hmm. but on every record I have at least one acoustic song just cause I can't help myself. I don't know. Right. Just like, it's <laughs> yeah. Just, you're like, this has to happen. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It's, I don't even know why. Like I just always have this one song and I'm like, ah, I guess it fits with everything else somehow. But but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been really cool to be embraced by like the metal community because I, you know, I'm, I love a lot of metal bands and I'm still influenced by a lot of the metal bands that I loved when I was younger. So that's been really cool. And, um, you know, I feel like it's really special that this project can tour with like, or we can like play a show with like Swans or Russian Circles or something, but we can also play a show with, um, you know, Queens of the Stone Age or perfect circle or something like that, like different sides of like the rock and roll world. And, you know, like now that I'm going kind of back to acoustic music for this moment, you know, like that, that's kind of cool too. Cause that opens up another realm of possibilities of like, um, bands to play with or festivals to play or something like that. But sure. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just going off on a tangent no, now, no, no, but no, no. mostly, mostly I just, yeah, I feel lucky that not only the metal community has embraced me, but other communities have embraced mm-hmm. me and, and just been, you know, like my audience has just been like really supportive over the years and just like down to kind of hear whatever I'm doing at the time without like putting too much judgment of like, this is this and this is this. Cause each, al- each album is very much like a combination of, th- of things that, um, come together in my own way. Yeah, no, it's, well, it's ultimately, di- you know, it's diverse. And I think that's what you're doing. You're picking up a, a you know, a, a bucket of people kind of from all these different communities. And I think that, um, is it's honestly, it's hard to do and be able to, you know, pull it off where people, uh, find something different to identify with about your music, um, as opposed Mm -hmm. to, you know, being singularly focused, um, of just like, oh yeah, like, you know, they, they shred or they're heavy or whatever. And like, that's why I like them, you know? Yeah. And I think that's becoming more common. Like I, I had the pleasure to do a radio show for about two and a half years, I think for Red Bull radio when they were doing like their bunch of radio stations. And, I just found that the best way for me to approach it was pick a theme each, uh, each month and like, whether it just be like, you know, duets or, you know, sad songs or something like that. Um, and I would find that there was so many different genres that I would put within this one place. And I think that a lot of people are like that now. I mean, it's like playlist culture, you know, now where we're like really just like, picking and choosing our our favorite elements from each different type of music and putting them together. And it makes sense to the person listening because they know what they, they find that they like in that, 
and the artists. So yeah, I think that's kind of what I see in my audiences. It's like a lot of different people coming for different reasons, you know? Yeah, no, it's rad. Um, and I promise last thing, but I, I found it, it kind of triggered a memory when you were talking about playing these really, you know, interesting and diverse shows. Um, you know, when, uh, cause I, I find this moment, you know, when people remember such different things about, you know, when something became like larger than they ever expected, where it was just like, oh my gosh. And it doesn't even have to be large where it's like, oh, I'm playing an arena now. You know, it's like, wow, I can't believe I'm playing this show in front of 400 people or something like that. Um, you know, do you have an anecdotal moment or two in your head where it was like, uh, this is really weird that I'm, that I'm doing this thing, whether it, it doesn't even have to be that big moment of like, Oh, I played this sold out show or whatever. Um, or, you know, getting asked to do a particular tour. Um, you know, when, when did those like moment or two, when I say, Hey, w- when your project became real, when did you feel like that happened? I mean, I was going to actually answer like anytime a show is sold out, that yeah, feels which really is good, fine, but, which is fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I actually think like when Queens of the Stone Age, um, asked to take us on tour, I think it was in like 2014. Yep that was a pretty big moment for me because they've been like an influential band on me since, you know, high school, really. Like that was one of the only good bands I was listening to in high school. (laughs) Um, and, or right after high school, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I think it was more like right after high school, but anyway, anyhow, um, yeah, like they've, they've always been a big influence and I, you know, they're still big influence. And so just having like their support and like, they were just so cool to us from day one, you know, just like came backstage and said, Hey, and hung out with us. And it wasn't just like this, thing of like we're these like lowly openers and they were like the big rock band like it was just very down to earth and cool and but at the same time you know like they were the big rock stars and and, right, you, could right. feel, and, and you could feel it and I learned a lot from them like in in many ways like from uh, the musicality to like the way that like the stage crew works and everything also just to like just seeing like how rabid their fans were and like how to sort of deal with that aspect and stuff um yeah, oh, yeah, actually, actually, one of my songs, uh, Dragged Out, was kind of like inspired by a night when the fans were like a little overly rabid and I could kind of see it taking its toll on Josh. I think he like looked over and was like, help me, you know, because <laughs> uh, it does it does get overwhelming sometimes. So I just I, don't know, I kind of wrote that song about that experience. Yeah, no, that's really I, I that is interesting to be able to like have a front row seat to that um, nature of, um, you know, passion and fervor over a piece of art, because then, you know, there's only so much that an artist can shield themselves from that emotion. You know, like, I mean, pe- mm-hmm. some people are able to build up a pretty big callus and just be like, whatever, I'm going to do the thing. I don't care what people, you know, wh- how much energy people are putting towards me. But, you know, I think most people that get drawn to the creative arts are very open and are, and, and are emotionally, uh, you know, heart in their sleeve, uh, vulnerable. So that's interesting that you got to watch that. Yeah. And I mean, it's such a big part of being a musician is like actually having that face to face interaction and not, you know, letting yourself just, I don't know, go for, like straight from the, st- the stage to the bus or the backstage or whatever it is. And like, sometimes you have to do that. Like sometimes it gets to be too much and your energy is like totally drained, but sometimes at least making the time to like have those face-to-face interactions and hear the reactions from from people is just so important and like enriches the music so much. You know, that's true. Yeah. The enriching the music because then you feel, because I, I think the, the, the thing that most people um, get out of the creative process is the fact that it inspires a reaction. It's like, you know, I mean, you've seen so mm-hmm. many bands and artists go by the wayside that, um, you know, not even from a level of success, but just like, oh, your art isn't inspiring a reaction, whether it's positive or negative. Like you just want to get that, 
like if people hate it, like that's cool. There's probably people that like it too. Um, but not getting a reaction is, is the worst. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think a musician or being a musician and playing shows and putting out records is like this really kind of big inspired way of expressing a really basic need of, you know, just wanting to feel human connection and feeling like somebody understands you and you understand them. So I, you know, everyone's, most people at least are trying to do that in life. And yeah, being a musician is just kind of like a, a artistic grand scale version of that, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much. This has been super fun. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, just uh, hanging out for an hour. This is great for me. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you talking to me. That was Chelsea. And thank you very much for her and her publicist, Nick, for not ever losing the thread of this and rescheduling and making it happen. So I really do appreciate that. It was a uh, it was a great chat. So next week, we have a kind of a twofer. We have uh, a gentleman named uh, Travis Tabrone, who uh, used to be in a band called Varials. He was the lead vocalist of that band, a modern metalcore band, as I would call them. So this chat we actually had before he left the band. He left the band probably about three or four weeks ago, but we had this in December. So And it's interesting. When I re-listen to it, I kind of hear a little bit of threads of being like, oh, well, I like uh, I like home. I like real life, you know, not this, that, this touring lifestyle. So, But it was really compelling chat and uh, nothing that was really um, sacrificed by the fact that he's not in the band anymore. And then I also have Ethan Harrison, who is the vocalist for Great American Ghost, who you've heard me talking about a lot recently, but uh, I wanted to have him on the show because uh, I think the band is a really good band. And what they do is, uh, you know, they're, they're, they've been a band that's been around for a long time, you know, six or seven years, and have only now started to kind of, you know, get their get their footing and get their foothold in what's going to happen with their band's life. So I just wanted to have them on for that reason. So we got a two for next week. All right. Until then, please be safe, everybody. Hi, I'm Esther Dean. I've made my life by writing songs like Fireworks by Katy Perry, Super Bass by Nicki Minaj, What's My Name by Rihanna, just to name a few. And now I'm having an absolute blast sharing some of the knowledge that I've learned with upcoming songwriters on Songland on NBC. I'm excited to welcome you to a brand new season of Songland and Songland's podcast, giving you new insight into the magical art of songwriting as told by some of the best in the business and also the pioneers and the up-and-comers who will be shaping the hits you'll be listening to for years. We have an amazing roster of talent this season. I promise you, you don't want to miss one single episode. Don't miss Songland, Monday nights at 10, 9 central, and join us here on Songland's podcast, available every week after the show on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts.